Good morning, good morning. Welcome, welcome. It's great to see everybody this morning. I'd like to welcome those who are watching us from home as well. If you're visiting with us for the first time or second or third, we're just so glad you're with us this morning to worship our Lord and to gather together in community. Just have a few announcements specifically about this Wednesday night. We get to kick off our fall schedule. Very excited about that for everyone. So we have three Bible studies I want to make you aware of. The first off for the men, um, they're going to be doing a study by uh, this book by Timothy Keller called Every Good Endeavor. Connecting your work to God's work. So the men are going to be gathering, watching this. Uh, Pastor Grady will be help facilitating this. Um, so that's the one for the men starting Wednesday night. All these things kick off Wednesday night at 6. The ladies, you have two options. Uh, the first is a, a book study that they're going to be doing. Uh, Miss Cecilia Till and Alicia Zhang will be leading this. Uh, Paul David Tripp's book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. People in need of change, helping people in need of change. So ladies, you'll be going through this as one option. And the second one is Ms. Karen Fowler will be leading a, a detailed study. This is awesome. Study of John 15 um, called Abiding in Him. So you have two options for the ladies, one for the men. Very excited about kicking off this Wednesday night. Kids, uh, our kids club kicks back in. We'll be meeting in here at 6. So parents, drop off your children here in the sanctuary at 6 o'clock. Uh, we'll be going through much like they do in kids' worship with songs and video and uh, Bible study. And then we'll be going over to the gym for some rec time and then small groups afterwards. And also the youth will continue on uh, in the gym at 6 o'clock doing rec. We'll have pizza and we'll continue our study through spiritual disciplines. We're in week three. And so for those of you that may not be attending yet, please have your youth come. It's still early on. We'd love them to be a part. And for the college group, you are still meeting on Wednesday nights at Second Seth and Megan's home as well. So that's for Wednesday nights. Very excited kicking off this Wednesday. Men, another event to make you aware of. This Saturday, September 11th, uh, you'll be going on a men's day hike to the John B. Scott Forever Wild Trail at Lake Martin. One thing you'll know about our pastor, he will keep you in shape. He loves to hike and haul, so we invite you guys to be a part of this. Uh, the minute you guys will be leaving around, meet here at 1230. You'll be back around dinner time. There's no cost, but just to know, uh, registration's needed so you guys can gather and get the proper amount of vehicles to know how to caravan and drive up. All the details and registration are on our blog at gatewaybaptist.com. Kids, where are you? First through fourth graders, raise your hand. First through fourth grade. We got a few here. All right, kids worship kicks back in today. So right after the prayer, um, before the Pastor Grady sermon, uh, you'll be released through these double doors to go to kids worship and enjoy a time over there of Bible study. And uh, then we'll play games afterwards. If I can ask you all to please stand as we prepare our hearts to worship the Lord through song. Just want to read this psalm over us as we prepare our hearts. Psalm chapter 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. 
Let the sea roar and all that fills the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. And he will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Let's worship the Lord this morning.
thank you for instruments and individuals who can play them that help them lead us in worship. We have sung to you and we've sung of your mighty deeds. This was mentioned in that verse and, and there are many more mighty deeds than, than we have sung of. But we reflect on those. We reflect what they mean for us. You are worthy of all worship. You are full of grace. You are full of mercy. You will bring justice. You bring us into your kingdom. It is through no effort. It, it is actually as enemies of you that, that we started and were brought into your kingdom. And we are so thankful. We are, we are not worthy other than you have made us worthy. You have brought us in and made us your children. We are thankful. We are thankful for that. We were thankful beyond words. And um, we, we come to you this morning. We, we come with thanksgiving. We come with praise. We, we come with requests as your children. And we, we lift up this church body. May our hearts be more and more surrendered to you and what you would have us do in our lives, in this service, in our lives, in every aspect of, of where we are and what we do and how we think. May they all be surrendered more and more and more to you as we go through our lives, as we go through this week ahead, as we go through this, this day, what, what remains of it. May it be surrendered more to you. We thank you that you, you help us in this if we have a heart with that desire. We, we just lift up to you the people who are sick, the folks that are recovering, but the people who are sick right now with COVID, uh, both in our family here at Gateway and, and, and uh, just in the city and in this state. So many people. We pray for your hand of healing on them. We, we lift up to you the people who are working in the hospitals and the doctors and the nurses who are dealing with this day after day. And we pray for not just their health, but their, their rest, uh, their, their emotional health as they deal with this continuously. We thank you that uh, you are available. We pray that, that uh, they will rest in you as as they, as they deal with this and provide the best care that they can. We, we uh, pray for the health and uh, the marriages that we have here in this church body as we go through the struggles and as individuals that are, that are um, not absolutely surrendered to you, but uh, by bent, uh, selfish, and having our own needs, uh, desires, we just pray for the marriages that are in this church, that we will yield to one another and that we will seek one another's best in every capacity and that we will encourage one another uh, toward, uh, toward our relationship with you. We lift up to you, Pastor, uh, Pastor DePace at First Presbyterian Church, who we cooperate with on the tutoring program. And we, we just pray for that church body, that you are working there, that they are feeling your spirit in and amidst and moving that you are uh, drawing people to that church body, that uh, you would have participate and grow in their relationship with you. We left up to you the MBA's Love Loud Montgomery Ministries. They minister to people in terms of food and clothing 
and, and other needs. Pray that they have what they need for that, that you multiply it, that they are uh, that they are able to identify and take care of the people that you would bring in their path and uh, that they would sense it, uh, through your spirit in what ways to best serve them. We lift up to you the Lhasa missionary team that, of Coconut Island that's serving the people off the coast of Thailand. I pray as they have the schools that are about to reopen and, and uh, COVID is still an issue, that you'll give them wisdom that you'll give them protection and wisdom and, and as they seek to serve in that place. We just, I just pray for the people of Thailand in general and that uh, you will bring them to yourself. We thank you for the offering that has been given online and will be given here this morning and we just pray that uh, you will multiply those those funds, that you will help us as a church body uh, understand how to best use them, uh, but for your kingdom and your purposes, that we'll hear clearly from you. And we lift up to you, Grady, as he teaches your word this morning and pray for your spirit to speak through him, your spirit to speak to the hearts of us uh, specifically, and and to be uh, the word that we need to hear this morning. We we lift up to you as we as we continue worship with your word and I pray that uh, it is pleasing in your sight, a fragrant aroma. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, Gateway family. Oh, you don't sound awake yet. Good morning. Good morning. There we go. That sounds better. Good to see you. This morning, you find Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53. And you're, and yeah, boys and girls, first to fourth grade, you're dismissed. First to fourth grade, kids of worship. Pastor CJ stand there at the door to help get you in the right direction there. But yeah, find Isaiah chapter 53 in your copy of God's Word. We took a two-week break of our study of rooted, being grounded in the Word of God. Now, one of those weeks was by design. That was last week with Ryan Thomas, our missionary friend who was here, challenging us to think about the nations. And one of those weeks was not by our design, but by God's design. When I was at home with our family sick and us being quarantined, I missed two weeks ago. But Seth preached an excellent sermon that Sunday and challenging us to not be fearful, to not be anxious. And so I just want to encourage you, if you've missed either of the last two weeks, please, please go back and listen to those messages. The call to take the gospel of the nations last week and the call to not be anxious two weeks ago were just incredibly timely and needed messages for us. And we encourage you to go listen to those. You can find those on our website, gatewaybaptist.com. You can find those on YouTube. You can find those on Facebook. So we encourage you to catch up on those if you missed either one of those. Now, since it's been three weeks since we did our study of being rooted and grounded in the Word, I want us to remind us of where we are this morning. We spent the summer looking at the law of God. We spent the summer looking at the commandments of God. And we saw how applicable the commandments of God are to us. We looked at the Ten Commandments and saw how applicable they are to our lives. We saw how far-reaching they all are. And as we went through the summer looking at these commands of the Lord, these laws of God, we saw over and over God's standard is perfect and perpetual obedience in our words and our thoughts and our actions. And in light of that, friends, we saw over and over through the summer that none of us can do that, that we are all sinners, we all fall so far short of God's standard. If you remember during the summer, we defined sin as rebelling against God, that sin is rebellion. And it's rebelling against God by either rejecting His law or by ignoring His law and just doing what we want to do anyway. Sin is rebellion, it's either rejecting or ignoring God's law. And as William preached during the summer for us, he showed us that that comes from a heart of idols, that our heart has idols, things that we love more than God, things we trust in more than God. Now, where we left off three weeks ago, that all that built a very heavy, weighty question we looked at. And the question from three weeks back was, will God allow our disobedience and our idolatry to go unpunished? 
And the answer from three weeks back, remember, was no, God will not let it go unpunished. So God is righteously angry with our sins. And God will punish sins both in this life and in the life to come. If you remember from three weeks back, we called that his wrath. God's wrath is his feeling towards sin of anger. It's his response to sin, which is punishment on sin. And just to remind us, friends, when we talk about the wrath of God, that is a good thing. The wrath of God is not something we need to be apologetic about and apologize for. It's not something that we need to be timid about. God's wrath reflects his perfection. God's wrath reflects his holiness. It reflects his character. For God to not hate sin would mean he is not holy. And yet that truth has some soul-searching consequences for us, doesn't it? I'm a sinner and you're a sinner, and God hates sin. And God will punish every sin. So we come today to question 19 in the New City Catechism that's guiding us in the study. And here's our question today. Is there any way to escape punishment and be brought back into God's favor? If God hates sin, and God is righteously angry towards sin, and God will punish every sin, both in this life and in the life to come, what is the hope? That is the, what today's question really is about. What is the hope for us? Is there any way for us to escape punishment? Is there any way for us as sinners to be brought back into God's favor? We're going to find the answer today in Isaiah chapter 53. Now, friends, as we think about this text this morning, I want to encourage you. We, not, we want to look not only for the right answer this morning. We want to make sure we have the right response to the answer. As we think about this question, we can read words in this text and we can come to the right conclusion on this. But I want us to ask the question this morning, what happens in my heart? What happens in your heart when we think about the answer to this question? What happens as we read these words of Isaiah 53 this morning? Because how we respond, what we feel in response to this text is going to show us a lot about the condition of our own soul. So I want you to keep that in mind as we work through that. What is happening in my heart and my affections as I think about these truths this morning. Now, before we read Isaiah chapter 53, two things I want you to understand about this particular text before we look more broadly as we read. We're going to be in verses 10 and 11 this morning of Isaiah 53, down near the end of it, the last several verses of this. Now, as we're reading this, just to make sure we're clear before we read it, you have here both God the Father and Jesus God the Son in this particular text. You'll see, for example, in verse 10, the word Lord in all caps. This is Yahweh. This is when God the Father is speaking here. And there's several of the he's that follow that describe what God the Father has done. You also have in here, if you look down in verse 11, you'll see someone called my servant or the righteous one. And that's Jesus. This was written 700 years before Jesus came. So he's not called Jesus here. He's just called the servant or the righteous one. But it's talking about God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. This is Jesus here. And there's a lot of the he's and him's about Jesus. So as we read this, this can get a little bit confusing because there's a lot of he's and him's. And some of the he's are about the Father and some of the he's are about Jesus the Son. Some of the him's are about God the Father and some of the him's are about Jesus the Son. But realize they're both here. And I think you'll see the context who is who as we go through here. But as we read verses 10 and 11, also realize you have both Isaiah the prophet speaking, and you also have God the Father speaking. Now this is common in prophecy to where you have kind of a, a changing of speakers. And so you have, God, you have Isaiah speaking. Verse 10 is all Isaiah speaking. This is a third person. Isaiah is telling us what God has done. And then in verse 11, it switches from third person to first person in the Hebrew. And now you have God the Father speaking. As God speaks and affirms what Isaiah has just told us. And we do not hear the words of Jesus here. Jesus is silent, but we learn a lot about Jesus and what Isaiah the prophet says about him and what God the Father says about him as well. So with that in view, just to give you some context to help you understand what we're looking at, we're looking at verses 10 and 11 this morning. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? As we heard from Ryan last week, we were reminded that so many in the world do not even have access to the Bible. and We get to read God's Word before us and treasure it this morning. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 10 and 11. I'll be reading out the English Standard Version this morning, starting in verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, and he shall, and he, he shall see his offspring, 
he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the wonders of this text we come to this morning. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would give me clarity to be able to explain this text. I pray you give to these precious friends ears to hear this text. And God, that you would stir our hearts and our affections as we think about these incredible truths, God, of who you are and what you have done for us and our need for redemption. All these things we'll see. Would you not just let this be intellectual for us this morning, but God, would you stir our hearts and affections as we see the wonders of the gospel in this text this morning. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, because as we go through Ruda, we're not going through just one book of the Bible like we normally do. Just a little background for you of what we're looking at this morning. We're in the book of Isaiah. This is written by the prophet Isaiah. Now, remember, prophets were people God sent to speak to his people for him. And Isaiah did this around 740 B.C. So you're looking at about seven centuries before Jesus came into the world. Isaiah is speaking these prophecies. Now, if you remember, prophets often were sent to correct to rebuke, because God's people were in their sin and their rebellion, and so God often sent prophets to, re- to rebuke his people, and that's exactly what you see in a lot of Isaiah. There's a lot of correction, a lot of rebuke in it, but when we come to Isaiah 53 here, you come to hope in the midst of all the warnings. You come to a change in tone as you begin to see how hope is possible, as God is calling people to repent. Now, in light of that, the particular section we're in here goes back to chapter 52, verse 13, all the way through the end of chapter 53, and this is a massive poem. So yes, what we just read this morning was part of poetry. The the last three verses of chapter 52 and all of chapter 53 is a massive poem right here in the middle of Isaiah. So when the people years later after we got God's word added chapters and verses to help us, they really put chapter 53 in a bad place because it's breaking up a thought. So when you look at Isaiah 53, you shouldn't start in Isaiah 53. You need to go back to Isaiah 52, verse 13, because that begins this poem that then goes to the end of chapter 53. Now, this poem that is here for us in the middle of this prophecy is five stanzas. So if you're type A and OCD like me, you like this, because it's five stanzas. There are three lines each, and they're really perfectly symmetrical. It's a beautiful structure here, if you like the structure of all of this. Now, in each of these five stanzas, there's one key truth, in each stanza. And each of these stanzas is all about one person, and that's a person who's simply called the servant or the righteous one. Now, we know from the New Testament this person called the servant, this person called the righteous one, is none other than Jesus himself. If you're not aware of it, Isaiah 53 is quoted or alluded to in the New Testament more so than any other Old Testament chapter. You are at the, the mountaintop of theology in the Old Testament right here. You're at the mountaintop of the glories of the gospel right here in Isaiah 52, 13 through the end of chapter 53. And so where we're falling today in this thing, this will be an amazing text to preach, but it'll probably take me three months to get through. So today we're going to look just at verses 10 and 11. And this is the concluding stand, two of the verses from the concluding stanza about the servant. And here in these verses we find the answer to our question, is there any hope? Is there any way for sinners like us to escape punishment and be brought back into God's favor. So as we dig into it this morning, here's the answer to our question. We'll go ahead and give it to you, and then we'll kind of unpack that. Yes, here's the hope for us. God delights in removing our guilt and reconciling us to himself through the Redeemer. So I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. I'm an idolater, you're an idolater. Is there any hope that a righteous God who punishes sins, is there any hope for us as we come face to face with him? And yes, there is hope. And the hope is that God delights, that God finds joy in doing something for us, and that is removing our guilt 
and forgiving us. And not only doing that, but reconciling us, restoring us to a right relationship with himself. Friends, there's hope. It is not anything I can do. It's not anything you can do. This is not a man-focused hope that we can, if we just do these things, we'll be okay. This is a hope that completely leaves us hopeless apart from what God does for us. That he will remove our guilt. That he will restore us to a right relationship with him. God delights in removing our guilt. God delights in reconciling us to himself through a redeemer. Now we're going to spend a lot of time in the weeks to come thinking about what a, who a redeemer is, but we're going to start on that this morning. But let's start first with this text and the reminder in this text, like we've seen all summer long, and that is our sinfulness, our guilt. Once again, we come face to face with how wretched, how depraved, how needy we all are. Notice the very last part of verse 11. Go back to Isaiah 53. Notice the very last phrase of verse 11. It says, he shall bear their iniquities. Now iniquities is just a big word, that means sin, offenses against God. The reality is I'm full of iniquities and you are full of iniquities. I'm full of sin, you're full of sin. That we are sinners, we are guilty, we've offended a holy God. Isaiah is just summarizing what he brought up earlier. If you look back up, look back up at verse 5 and 6 of Isaiah chapter 53. Notice what he says here. He says, but he, this is the servant, Jesus, he was wounded for whose transgressions? Our transgressions. He was crushed for whose iniquities? Our iniquities upon him, upon the servant Jesus, was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. Now in verse 6, he goes on, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one. There's none of us who escaped this. Every single one of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the servant, the iniquity of us all. And so when we see that, we see our guilt. We see our sinfulness, that every single person on the planet, the nicest person you know, the kindest person you know, has turned their own way, has turned their backs on God, has rebelled, has shaken their fist at God and said, not my way, but not your way, God, but my way in this life. And as we saw, God is holy. He must punish every sin. So how do we not have to have our sins punished on us? And the answer is that God can remove our guilt through a Redeemer. Now, what does that mean that God can remove our guilt through a Redeemer? Now, to help us understand this, I want us to ask about six different questions this morning to try to understand the wonders of this text. Now, and again, as we go through these, I want us to make sure we have the right answer, but friends, more than that, I want to make sure our hearts are stirred by the Holy Spirit on these things. So keep looking at these, not just with, that's the right answer, but how is my heart responding to these truths? So question number one, just if we're going to talk about that our guilt can be taken away by a Redeemer, the question, first question is, what is a Redeemer? What in the world are we talking about? What is a Redeemer. Now, to answer that question, we have to ask, what does it mean to redeem something? Now, to redeem something literally means to buy something back. So, as we're talking about that we can have our guilt forgiven because of a Redeemer, to redeem means to buy back, to make a payment to rescue something. So, perhaps a modern illustration of that might help. So, suppose a long time ago, something that was of value to you, a family heirloom, a piece of jewelry, something got stolen. And many years later, you're shopping at an antique store, and you see it. There's that thing that you love, that you've grieved, with, you've lost for so long, and you see it for sale. You go and you buy it back. Even though it was yours and it had disappeared for a long time, you see it. There's a price tag on it. You buy it back. You are redeeming what was once yours by making a payment for it. And that's exactly what to redeem means, or redemption means. A redeemer is one who buys back something. A redeemer buys back something from someone else. And that's exactly what Isaiah 53 is all about. If you think about it, we are made by God, We were created by God to be in a relationship with him, but sin came into the world and sin separated us from God. And so we are, we often use the word, we're lost. We are separated from God. And so the Redeemer comes to buy us back, to make a payment to restore us to himself. So that's what a Redeemer is. A Redeemer buys something back. Second question, 
What does redemption provide for us? If we are needing to be redeemed and the servant Jesus, the Redeemer, comes to redeem us, what does redemption actually provide for us since we are the thing being bought back? Isaiah 53 shows us two things that redemption provides for us. Number one, it provides forgiveness for our sin. And when redemption provides forgiveness for our sin. Go back to verse 10 of Isaiah chapter 53 this morning. He says, yes, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put into grief. Now notice this. When his soul makes an offering for guilt. When Jesus' soul makes an offering for guilt. Now this is imagery going all the way back to Leviticus chapter 5. In the Old Testament, when people had sinned, there were guilt offerings they could make. Where they'd take an innocent animal and they would kill the animal and the blood would be sprinkled on the altar. And all these things would happen to make an offering for guilt. This is saying that Jesus now has made an offering for our guilt. The Redeemer himself is taking our guilt upon himself. He's going to take the punishment that should be given to us to take our place. So we talk about forgiveness of sins, friend. We say it often, but we need to be reminded. God never overlooks sin. When God forgives me of my sin and God forgives you of your sin, he's not overlooking a sin. Every sin will be paid for. Either we pay for it, which takes all eternity, or the Redeemer, the servant, Christ himself, takes it and takes the punishment in our place. Every sin will be punished, either by Christ or by us, because a holy God cannot overlook sin. And so redemption provides for us, first of all, forgiveness of our sin, forgiveness for our guilt. But there's more. Look at verse 11. The second thing it provides for us is a right relationship with God. The Redeemer provides for us not only forgiveness of our guilt, He also provides for us a right relationship, a restored relationship with God. Verse 11 brings this aspect of it out. It says in verse 11, Out of the anguish of His soul He shall see and be satisfied. By His knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many, notice this, make many to be accounted righteous. Through what the servant does, through what the Redeemer does, many will be accounted, considered righteous. What does that mean? Friends, when Christ takes our guilt... When Christ takes our punishment for us, not only was all of our sin put on Christ, but all of Christ's righteousness was credited, was put on us. And so when I talk to God, when you talk to God, He doesn't just see us, He sees Christ's righteousness, His holiness, His perfection covering us. We've been credited with Christ's righteousness. That means we can have a right relationship with God. Even if I sin this morning and you sin this morning, God's not separated from us because when he sees us, he sees Christ's righteousness covering us and we have a restored relationship with God so we can walk boldly into his throne and talk to him, enjoy his presence without fear because we have a right relationship. We've been made righteous and so we can have a right relationship with him. So a redeemer is one who buys something back. When we are bought back, what that provides for us is forgiveness of all of our many sins, but also a restored relationship with God. That leads to our third question for the morning. How does the Redeemer purchase this for us? How does the Redeemer purchase this for us? Friends, we love, in our culture, and I love to talk about this, but we love to talk about grace. Getting things we don't deserve. We love to talk about the free gift of salvation. We love to talk about the free gift of what God gives to us. And we rejoice in that. We rejoice in God's grace. We rejoice in the free gift. But we must not forget, we talk about being redeemed. Everything redeemed has to be paid for. And so a price has to be paid. And what was the cost for that? It was the life of the servant. It was the life of Jesus himself. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 gives us a quick glimpse of this that Isaiah is bringing out. We're told in Ephesians 1 that in him, in Jesus, we have redemption. But notice this, here's the cost, through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. We get the grace, we get the forgiveness, we get the redemption, but it came through his blood, through his death in our behalf. It required an innocent victim dying for us. And that's exactly what Christ, that's exactly what Isaiah 
describes. Now go back to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10. And with that in view, look at how Isaiah describes what happens to the servant, what happens to Jesus. First few phrases of verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, that's Yahweh the Father, has put him, Jesus the servant, to grief. It was the will of God the Father to crush Jesus. The Father has put Jesus to grief. We see this word here, to crush. Some of your translations may say to bruise him, but it's the same idea that physical pain and suffering has been inflicted on Christ, on the one who's called the servant here. Yes, this is physical pain of suffering that leads to death. This is emotional pain of being rejected by his creation. We get a glimpse of this when we think about the crucifixion. Matthew chapter 27. In Matthew 27, you have a picture of what Christ went through. Let me just remind us this. And they stripped him, that's Jesus, and put a scarlet robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns. And you can get the image in your mind. We get so familiar with these stories, I think we miss this. They had a crown full of thorns, and they shoved that onto his head. And they put a reed in his right hand, and kneeling before him, they mocked him. So here is the creator who deserves what we're just saying about the glorious praise of his creation. He's being physically harmed by his creation. He's having physical pain as he's being beaten, as he's having crowns shoved in his head, and then he gets mocked by his creation on top of that. Hail, king of the Jews. And they spit on him. And they took the ring, they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him, and they led him away to crucify him. As you remember, that means his back is beaten, he's stripped down, he's put on a piece of wood, he has nails put in his wrist and his feet, and he hangs on the cross, and on the cross you die of asphyxiation. You cannot breathe. You get so weak you can't push yourself up, you eventually die of suffocation. Christ is hanging on the cross doing that. So in light of that, you see what he says here. It was the will of the Father to literally to crush Jesus. But it's not just the physical and emotional pain here. There's a spiritual pain here as well. Because when Christ died, friends, this is the only time in all of eternity, before there was ever time in forever, it's the only time in all of eternity that there was a separation from the Father and the Son. It was the only time that Jesus felt his Father turned away from him. It was the only time ever that Jesus felt alone. It's the only time he ever felt the wrath of his Father. Look back in Isaiah 53.10. It was the will of the Lord, the Father, to crush him, Jesus' son. The Father has, notice, has put him to grief. The Father has put Jesus to grief. And that's exactly what happened on the cross. Matthew chapter 27, a few verses later in verse 46. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? If you want to try to understand the tone in which Jesus would have said that, Isaiah 53 tells us, the Father has put the Son to grief He is grieving the separation from his father. He is grieving the weight of the wrath of God on him. His soul is full of grief, and he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You get a glimpse of that again in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 11. Notice this first phrase in verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul. Don't miss that word anguish. This is what Christ is going through to purchase us. It is the anguish of off his soul. This is not some light, easy thing for him. Yes, he is God, but he has anguish in his soul. Just remember what happened the night before he died. Luke chapter 22, verses 41 to 44, gives us a glimpse of the anguish of his soul. And he, Jesus, withdrew from them. Those are several of his disciples. He's in the garden. He withdrew his stone. So he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Now, why is he praying that? Because his soul is in anguish. Because he knows he's about to be experiencing the wrath of, all, of a holy God against all of our sins. He knows what he's about to be enduring. He says, Father, if there's another way, let it be. But then he prays this in obedience. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He goes on, though. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven. Him that 
His soul is in such anguish. The Father in His kindness and love for the Son sends an angel to strengthen Jesus as He's dealing with the anguish of His soul. And then in verse number 44, and being in, what's the next word? What's the next word? This is not some light thing Jesus is going through. Jesus is in agony, and He prays more earnestly, and His sweat became like great drops of blood. He is having, as Isaiah says, the anguish of of his soul, he was feeling the crushing of the wrath of the Father that should have been put on me and should have been put on you. He was taking it in our place. That is what gives us the free gift we love to celebrate. I love how Galatians 3.13 tells us that Christ redeemed us. Christ purchased us back from the curse of the law. We're guilty. We're under the curse of the law. But Christ redeemed us. He purchased us back by becoming a curse. For us, for it is written, every, curses to everyone who hangs on a tree. The, the cost of the redemption was Christ becoming the curse for us. That Christ feeling the wrath of God. Christ experiencing the crushing, the bruising, the being put to grief, the anguish of his soul, and all these phrases that Isaiah describes for us. That is the cost, friends, of it. So what is a redeemer? Someone who buys something back. And the servant, Jesus, buys us back. What does that get for us? That gets us forgiveness of all of our great guilt, of our many sins. That gets us a restored relationship with God himself. And what was the cost of it? Jesus' own blood. Hanging on the cross, the crushing from the Father, the being put to grief from the Father, the anguish of his soul. So how do we know that worked? How do we know that Jesus dying on the cross actually can redeem me and redeem you? How do we know that our sins can be forgiven? Isaiah shows us here, 700 years before Jesus came, he gives us the hope for this. So our fourth question of the morning, how can we know that redemption worked? How can we know that redemption actually worked? That I can be bought back and you can be bought back and our sins can be forgiven. So two things we see here in Isaiah 53 that we know that redemption worked. Number one, the resurrection. Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus came back to life. He rose from the grave. This is exactly what we celebrate on Easter and what we celebrate every Sunday. Luke chapter 24, which reminds you of the resurrection of what happened. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they, some of the women, went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. He was raised back to life. What happened while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men, these are angels, stood, stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their face to the ground, the men said, notice this, why do you seek the living? The servant, Jesus, the one Isaiah talked about 700 years before, he is now living. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day Rise, And so 700 years before that happened, that's what we were told would happen. Go back to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10. And you see the resurrection in this amazing text in Isaiah, in this concluding stanza of this prophetic poem here. Notice in verse 10 here what it says. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. But notice this next phrase. He shall see his offspring. Now that he here is Jesus. Jesus, the servant, will see his offspring. Well, wait, we were just told that he would be crushed we are told he'd be bruised. We just have been told that he will be put to grief. We've just been told his soul will be a guilt offering. But then he, Jesus, the servant, shall see his offering. He, Jesus, shall pro- sorry, sorry, he, the Father, will prolong he, Jesus' days. The will of the Lord, the Father, shall prosper in Jesus' hand. This is an image for one who's no longer dead in the ground. That the guilt offering now is back to life here. His days will be prolonged. The will of the Lord will prosper. Notice this, he will see his offspring, that he will live and see people believe in him who will become sons and daughters of God. He'll be part of the spiritual family, the kingdom of God. That yes, a servant died, but he came, to back, he came back to life. And that shows us that the price had been paid. It shows us that redemption actually worked. 
There's a second way we know that redemption can work for us. That is the declaration of the Father himself. That's a declaration of God the Father himself that he has done this. Verse 11. You remember verse 11 goes back to first person in Hebrew. This is no longer Isaiah speaking what God has shown them. This is now God the Father. This is Yahweh interjecting his truth into what all that Isaiah is already saying. Verse 11. Here's what God the Father says. Out of the anguish of his Jesus' soul... Jesus will see and be satisfied by his, Jesus' knowledge, shall the righteous one, my servant, now this is the Father talking about the Son, by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. The words, we're hearing the voice of God the Father right here telling us that Jesus will see and be satisfied. That means Jesus will accomplish exactly what he set out to accomplish. He will be satisfied. He's not up in heaven going, oh, I wish I could have just done a little bit more. No, he's satisfied. He's pleased. He did everything that he was supposed to do in providing redemption. And the Father's telling us that we can be confident in our redemption if we believe in Christ because Jesus is satisfied. He did what he was supposed to do. And then he clarifies for us even more here. Not only is he satisfied, he's satisfied and he's made many to be accounted righteous. He has done what the Father sent him to do, and those who believe in him will be accounted righteous. He has accomplished what he came to do. So we have not only the proof of the resurrection, we have the voice of God the Father affirming that he has accepted the price that has been paid, and that Christ has in fact redeemed his people. That God has removed our guilt and reconciled us to himself through a redeemer. At least our fifth question, why did God do this? Why did God do this? Friends, God did not have to do this. God would have been very just and very holy to condemn every person to hell. God is holy and perfect. He had no obligation to redeem us. God wasn't lonely, so he didn't make us because he was lonely. Somehow needed us in some way. We've seen over and over, God needs absolutely nothing. And so when his people turn on him and shake their fists and say, no, I'm going to do things my way, God would be just to condemn the whole human race. He did not have to redeem us. Why did he choose to do this. And the answer is given to us in verse 10. Verse 10 is actually bookended with a really, really important phrase. You see the very beginning, very end. It said, yet it was, notice this, the will of the Lord. And at the very end of it, it says again, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Why did he do this? Because it was his will. It was the will of the Lord. Friends, don't miss this. The Christ as Redeemer was not some plan B. God wasn't up in heaven and all of a sudden Adam and Eve sinned. He's going, oops, I didn't see that coming. Okay, what are we going to do now? That's how we live our life. Things happen. We don't expect it. We react. We try to adjust. God's not in heaven trying to react or adjust to what Adam and Eve did. Redemption was not some plan B. It was his plan from the beginning. That before God made the world, God created a world to where he could show his glory by showing both his wrath and his mercy So that we see both the holiness of God and the love of God. Where we can see both the justice of God and the mercy of God side by side in redemption and Christ coming as the Redeemer. Taking the wrath we deserve so mercy can be extended. This was not plan B. This was his definite good plan. I love how it says in Acts chapter 2 verse 23. Peter's preaching. This is what we talk about at Pentecost when you see the church born. And I love how Peter describes this Jesus. Notice this. Delivered up according to the what type of plan? What type of plan? Definite plan. This is not plan B. This is a definite plan of God in the foreknowledge. Foreknowledge of the Bible doesn't just mean God knows what people are going to do. Foreknowledge means God has set the path of what's going to happen in history. This Jesus delivered according to the definite plan, the foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now, friends, if you want your mind to hurt when you go to sleep tonight, ponder this. 
When these people who killed Jesus stand before a holy God one day, they can't be like, God, this was your plan. See, I, I couldn't help it. I was just doing what I wanted to do, or what you wanted me to do. No, these people made sinful choices, but God is so big and so sovereign that he allowed these sinful choices of people to crucify Jesus in the exact way that he had determined before time began. So try to get your mind around that when we try to go to sleep tonight, how big and sovereign God is to accomplish this plan, and yet people made their own choices in the midst of this, and it happened this way. This was the plan of the Redeemer, was the definite plan in the foreknowledge of God. It was, as Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, it was his will. But friends, don't miss something. Brad, if you'll take us back, it's not on your list, but go back to verse 10 again in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, 10. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was the will of the Lord. Friends, I want us to make sure we don't miss something here. We say this is the will of the Lord, the plan of the Lord. This is not a reluctant will of the Lord. This is not a begrudging will of the Lord. This is not a, well, the people really messed up my plan. I guess I'll come up with something. This is the best I can do. When you see the word will here, this word will in the Hebrew can also mean delight and pleasure. I'll let that one sink in for a minute. This word will also means delight or pleasure. And in fact, in other places in Isaiah, this exact word that's translated will here in Isaiah 1 is actually trans, is, is translated delight. So this exact same word gets translated delight in other places. When you see the word will here, this is not a begrudging will. This is a glad will, a choice, a delight. And that means you could translate verse 10 to say, it was the good pleasure of the Lord to crush Jesus. I mean, you could go as far as to translate verse 10 to say, yeah, it was the delight of the Father to crush Jesus. Now, that sounds strange to us. The Father delighted in crushing the Son. The Father delighted in putting him to grief and seeing his soul be in anguish. Well, the Father didn't delight in seeing the Son suffer, but the Father delighted in what the suffering would accomplish. The Father delighted in what it would do. He gladly did this. He gladly did this to Jesus because of what it would accomplish. It would glorify God. It would create for God a redeemed people who would love Him and worship Him. It would show the world, believers and unbelievers alike, both his, the totality of His attributes, His wrath and His mercy, His justice and His grace, His holiness and His love, all side by side in no other way that could be Done. It was a glad will, a rejoicing will, a delighting will of the Father to do this. But it wasn't just the Father delighting in this. Jesus is not going, well, I'm glad you're happy. I guess I'll endure this. This is the, the Son himself delighting and doing this because he loves the Father. That Jesus is not begrudgingly going to the cross. Yes, he prays, if it could, there could be another way, let it be. But he does this with joy and delight as well because of what it will accomplish. Go back to verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see, and notice this, and he can be satisfied. Christ did this and was satisfied with what he did. He delighted in what he did. You go to Hebrews chapter 12, this great text about to encourage us to press on our faith, and we're told to look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And notice this, who for the what? What's the next word? The joy that was set before him endured the cross. Was he joyous about the cross? No, but he was joyous in what the cross would accomplish. Was he excited about the suffering? No. He's saying, Lord, if there's another way, let it be. But he had found joy in going to the cross because of what it accomplished. He despised the shame, and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He was satisfied. He found joy in doing what the Father called him to do because of what it accomplished. It brought glory to God. It created a redeemed people who would worship God and showed the world who God is. It was not a begrudging will. It was a delighting will. God delighted in doing these things. So I'll bring all that together. Is there any way to escape punishment and be brought back into God's favor? Yes. Our idea for the day, the answer and the hope is God delights. Don't miss that. God delights in removing our guilt. God delights in reconciling us to himself. And the only way to do that is through a 
Redeemer. That God delights in doing this. So friends, in light of all that, I want us to read verses 10 and 11 one more time, thinking of the delight of the God in this. Think about what Christ did. Think about the crucifixion accounts we've already read. I want to do it a little bit different this morning as we wrap it up before I ask our last question. I want us to read it out loud together. Think about what we just said. So I haven't won everyone over to the ESV yet, so if you're not reading out the ESV, if you'll read it off the screen with me, so we're all reading out the same translation, so it's somewhat... But I want us to read this out loud and proclaim together this, because this, is, this text is wondrous. So let's say it out loud together, okay? Yet... It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant... Make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. So, friends, is there any hope? And yes, the answer is God delights in removing our guilt. God delights in reconciling us to himself, and he does so through a redeemer. So, at least our last question of the morning, we'll just keep that answer up on the screen, but I want to ask our last question. What do you feel in response to that truth, friends? What happens in your heart and your soul when you just read Verses 10 and 11 of Isaiah's prophecy. What happens when you think about that God delighted in doing this to remove your guilt? That God delighted in doing this to redeem you and to rescue you to himself. How does that truth, friends, affect you? Friends, just in the province of God, this is, I started on this text three weeks ago, so I've had three weeks to chew on this text and think on it, which is more so than I normally get to do. One thing that I keep thinking about as I've been pondering this text, I'm concerned that far too often in my life and a lot of our lives, we hear this, and nothing happens in our hearts. That we hear the wonders of what we just read. That it was the delight of the Lord to crush Jesus and to put him to grief. It was the delight of Jesus for his soul to be an offering for guilt. That it was the anguish of Jesus' soul, but he's now satisfied. That we are now accounted righteous. That we are now, that he's born our iniquities. We hear that and we move on with our lives. I think so often we sing about it. What we just done this morning, but our minds are on something different. We read the words about it, we hear them read, and we're worried about COVID and our health and jobs and other things that we can, I think most of us in this room would say, oh yeah, I believe all this, but then our hearts somehow are not moved. Friends, could it be that one of the reasons we struggle so much to joyfully praise God all week is because we've lost the wonder at this? Could it be that one of the reasons why we struggle so much sometimes to be consistently reading scripture and praying like we should is because we've lost the wonder of the gospel? Could it be one reason why we struggle so much to make Christ known locally to the nations is because we've lost the wonder of all of this? Friends, we need to pray and earnestly ask God to stir our hearts again, to recover all in wonder at this incredible message that we've just read today. And so my challenge for myself and for you this week, let's meditate on this glorious gospel message, and let's not lose the wonder of redemption that's available for us, and let's pray fervently for one another for our families, pray for me, I'll pray for you, that the Holy Spirit will inside of us to so stir our hearts with wonder and awe with what we've just read and talked about that we cannot help but praise God. We cannot help but want to open His Word. We cannot help but want to talk about Him because we are so overwhelmed that He has redeemed us, that He was willing to do this for the glory of God and to remove our guilt and to reconcile us to Himself. Let's see what happens this week as we pray for God to give to us a new sense of wonder at what we've just been talking about this morning. Would you pray with me? 
Father, we are grateful for your grace. We are grateful for your mercy and your kindness to us. And Lord, I pray that the truths that we have looked at this morning would not just be intellectual curiosity to us. Lord, I pray you let us be a people who, who want the right answers because we know that you are a God of truth and we want to know the truth. But God, help us be a people not just who want the right answers, but want to experience that and live it out. Lord, I pray this week for myself and for these precious brothers and sisters, Lord, that the wonder of what we've just read would just resonate in our hearts. And so your Holy Spirit dwelling within us this week would remind us of who we are in Christ, would take our mind frequently back to the truths of who you are, God, and what you've done, and of your glory, and of your greatness. You'd remind us this week of our sinfulness and our guilt, but you'd remind us of what you have done for us. You'd remind us that we are reconciled to you, that you'd remind us that we are restored to right relationship with you. You'd remind us that our guilt is forgiven. So, Lord, would you be stirring our hearts afresh, Lord, to not hear these things and think about these things and then go live our life this week, but to dwell on these truths this week. Or there might be a people who are so in love with you, Lord, that we cannot help but want to think about you all during the day, that we cannot help but want to talk to you, or that we cannot help but want to read your words to us, to hear your voice that is in writing right before us. Or would you stir our hearts with new affections for you this week in the midst of whatever else is going on in work and at school and with health and with whatever situations. Lord, you know all those, but you're bigger than all those. So this week, Lord, would you turn our hearts to the things of you that we might delight in who you are and delight in what you've done. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song as we celebrate and praise what we've just been studying this morning.
darkness rejoice so heaven had lost but then Jesus rose with our freedom in hand that's when death was arrested in my Before I pray on our behalf, would you take just a minute where you're standing and just reflect on what you just sung? And take a moment and ask God this week to stir your heart with those thoughts all week long. To give us a freshness of wonder at His grace and what we've just been studying. Take a minute and just pray that and ask Him to do that. Lord, it is incredible to realize that Lord, we can only hear one person at a time, but Lord, you've heard every prayer that was just lifted here and from those who are worshiping from home and on the live stream and for all the redeemed who are gathered around the world worshiping you today. You've heard every prayer, and God, you will answer. Lord, I pray this week you would do what we've just asked as your people to do. That's something that we can't create. Lord, I cannot create affections in my heart for you. God, I cannot create a sense of awe in my heart for you. 
But God, you can. So Lord, as a very dependent, a very needy people, Lord, hear these prayers we just lifted to do what we cannot do this week. Lord, for your own glory and for our own joy, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and have a great Sunday afternoon.